Section 8 of Jean Christophe, Volume 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Joshua Seeger in Chicago. Jean Christophe, Volume 1, by Romain Roland. Translated by Gilbert Canaan. Dawn 3, Part 2. Sometime after that, a musical event brought even more excitement into Jean-Christophe's thoughts. François-Marie Hassler, the author of the first opera which had so bowled him over, was to visit the town. He was to conduct a concert consisting of his compositions. The town was excited. The young musician was the subject of violent discussion in Germany, and for a fortnight he was the only topic of conversation. It was a different matter when he arrived. The friends of Melchior and old Jean-Michel continually came for news, and they went away with the most extravagant notions of the musician's habits and eccentricities. The child followed these narratives with eager attention. The idea that the great man was there in the town, breathing the same air as himself, treading the same stones, threw him into a state of dumb exaltation. He lived only in the hope of seeing him. Hassler was staying at the palace as the guest of the Grand Duke. He hardly went out, except to the theatre for rehearsals, to which Jean-Christophe was not admitted, and as he was very lazy, he went to and fro in the prince's carriage. Therefore Jean-Christophe did not have many opportunities of seeing him, and he only succeeded once in catching sight of him as he drove in the carriage. He saw his fur coat, and wasted hours in waiting in the street, thrusting and jostling his way to right and left, and before and behind, to win and keep his place in front of the loungers. He consoled himself with spending half his days watching the windows of the palace which had been pointed out as those of the master. Most often he only saw the shutters, for Hassler got up late, and the windows were closed almost all morning. This habit had made well-informed persons say that Hassler could not bear the light of day and lived in eternal night. At length Jean-Christophe was able to approach his hero. It was the day of the concert. All the town was there. The Grand Duke and his court occupied the great royal box, surmounted with a crown supported by two chubby cherubim. The theatre was in gala array. The stage was decorated with branches of oak and flowering laurel. All the musicians of any account made it a point of honor to take their places in the orchestra. Melchior was at his post, and Jean-Michel was conducting the chorus. When Hassler appeared, there was loud applause from every part of the house, and the ladies rose to see him better. Jean-Christophe devoured him with his eyes. Hassler had a young, sensitive face, though it was already rather puffy and tired-looking. His temples were bald, and his hair was thin on the crown of his head. For the rest, fair curly hair. His blue eyes looked vague. He had a little fair moustache and an expressive mouth which was rarely still, but twitched with a thousand imperceptible movements. He was tall and held himself badly, not from awkwardness, but from weariness or boredom. He conducted capriciously and lithely, with his whole awkward body swaying, like his music, with gestures, now caressing, now sharp and jerky. 
it was easy to see that he was very nervous, and his music was the exact reflection of himself. The quivering and jerky life of it broke through the usual apathy of the orchestra. Jean Christophe breathed heavily. In spite of his fear of drawing attention to himself, he could not stand still in his place. He fidgeted, got up, and the music gave him such violent and unexpected shocks that he had to move his head, arms, and legs to the great discomfort of his neighbors, who warded off his kicks as best they could. The whole audience was enthusiastic, fascinated by the success rather than by the compositions. At the end there was a storm of applause and cries, in which the trumpets in the orchestra joined, German fashion, with their triumphant blare in salute of the conqueror. Jean-Christophe trembled with pride, as though these honors were for himself. He enjoyed seeing Hassler's face light up with childish pleasure. The ladies threw flowers, the men waved their hats, and the audience rushed for the platform. Everyone wanted to shake the master's hand. Jean-Christophe saw one enthusiast raise the master's hand to his lips, another steal a handkerchief that Hassler had left on the corner of his desk. He wanted to reach the platform also, although he did not know why, for if at that moment he had found himself near Hassler, he would have fled at once in terror and emotion but he butted with all his force, like a ram, among the skirts and legs that divided him from Hassler. He was too small. He could not break through. Fortunately, when the concert was over, his grandfather came and took him to join in a party to serenade Hassler. It was night, and torches were lighted. All the musicians of the orchestra were there. They talked only of the marvelous compositions they had heard. They arrived outside the palace and took up their places without a sound under the master's windows. They took on an air of secrecy, although everybody, including Hassler, knew what was to come. In the silence of the night they began to play certain famous fragments of Hassler's compositions. He appeared at the window with the prince, and they roared in their honor. Both bowed. A servant came from the prince to invite the musicians to enter the palace. They passed through great rooms, with frescoes representing naked men with helmets. They were of a reddish color, and were making gestures of defiance. The sky was covered with great clouds like sponges. There were also men and women of marble clad in waistcloths made of iron. The guests walked on carpets so thick that their tread was inaudible, and they came at length to a room which was as light as day, and there were tables laden with drinks and good things. The Grand Duke was there, but Jean Christophe did not see him. He had eyes only for Hassler. Hassler came towards them. He thanked them. He picked his words carefully, stopped awkwardly in the middle of a sentence, and extricated himself with a quip which made everybody laugh. They began to eat. Hassler took four or five musicians aside. He singled out Jean Christophe's grandfather and addressed very flattering words to him. He recollected that Jean Michel had been one of the first to perform his works, and he said that he had often heard tell of his excellence from a friend of his who had been a pupil of the old man's. Jean Christophe's grandfather expressed his gratitude profusely. He replied with such extraordinary eulogy that, in spite of his adoration of Hassler, the boy was ashamed. But to Hassler they seemed to be pleasant and in the rational order. 
Finally, the old man, who had lost himself in his rigmarole, took Jean-Christophe by the hand and presented him to Hassler. Hassler smiled at Jean-Christophe and carelessly patted his head, and when he learned that the boy liked his music and had not slept for several nights in anticipation of seeing him, he took him in his arms and plied him with questions. Jean-Christophe, struck dumb and blushing with pleasure, dared not look at him. Hassler took him by the chin and lifted his face up. Jean-Christophe ventured to look. Hassler's eyes were kind and smiling. He began to smile, too. Then he felt so happy, so wonderfully happy in the great man's arms, that he burst into tears. Hassler was touched by this simple affection and was more kind than ever. He kissed the boy and talked to him tenderly. At the same time he said funny things and tickled him to make him laugh and Jean-Christophe could not help laughing through his tears. Soon he became at ease, and answered Hassler readily, and of his own accord he began to whisper in his ear all his small ambitions, as though he and Hassler were old friends. He told him how he wanted to be a musician like Hassler, and like Hassler to make beautiful things, and to be a great man. He, who was always ashamed, talked confidently, he did not know what he was saying. He was in a sort of ecstasy. Hassler smiled at his prattling and said, When you are a man and have become a good musician, you shall come and see me in Berlin. I shall make something of you. Jean-Christophe was too delighted to reply. Hassler teased him. You don't want to? Jean-Christophe nodded his head violently five or six times, meaning yes. It is a bargain, then? Jean-Christophe nodded again. Kiss me, then. Jean-Christophe threw his arms round Hustler's neck and hugged him with all his strength. Oh, you are wetting me. Let go. Your nose wants wiping. Hassler laughed and wiped the boy's nose himself, a little self-consciously. Though he was quite jolly, he put him down, then took him by the hand and led him to a table, where he filled his pockets with cake and left him, saying, Goodbye. Remember your promise. Jean-Christophe swam in happiness. The rest of the world had ceased to exist for him. He could remember nothing of what had happened earlier in the evening. He followed lovingly Hassler's every expression and gesture. One thing that he said struck him. Hassler was holding a glass in his hand. He was talking, and his face suddenly hardened, and he said, "'The joy of such a day must not make us forget our enemies. We must never forget our enemies.' It is not their fault that we are not crushed out of existence. It will not be our fault if that does not happen to them. That is why the toast, I propose, is that there are people whose health we will not drink. Everybody applauded and laughed at this original toast. Hassler had laughed with the others, and his good-humoured expression had returned. But Jean-Christophe was put off by it. Although he did not permit himself to criticise any action of his hero, it hurt him that he had thought ugly things, when on such a night there ought to be nothing but brilliant thoughts and fancies. But he did not examine what he felt, and the impression that it made was soon driven out by his great joy and the drop of champagne which he drank out of his grandfather's glass. On the way back the old man never stopped talking. He was delighted with the praise that Hassler had given him. He cried out that Hassler was a genius such as had not been known for a century. Jean-Christophe said nothing. 
locking up in his heart his intoxication of love. He had kissed him. He had held him in his arms. How good he was! How great! Ah! he thought in bed as he kissed his pillow passionately. I would die for him! Die for him! The brilliant meteor which had flashed across the sky of the little town that night had a decisive influence on Jean Christophe's mind. All his childhood, Hassler was the model on which his eyes were fixed, and, to follow his example, the little man of six decided that he also would write music. To tell the truth, he had been doing so for long enough without knowing it, and he had not waited to be conscious of composing before he composed. Everything is music for the born musician. Everything that throbs or moves or stirs or palpitates. Sunlit summer days, nights when the wind howls, flickering light, the twinkling of the stars, storms, the song of birds, the buzzing of insects, the murmuring of trees, voices, loved or loathed, familiar fireside sounds, a creaking door, blood moving in the veins in the silence of the night. Everything that is, is music. All that is needed is that it should be heard. All the music of creation found its echo in Jean Christophe. Everything that he saw, everything that he felt, was translated into music without his being conscious of it. He was like a buzzing hive of bees, but no one noticed it, himself least of all. Like all children, he hummed perpetually at every hour of the day. Whatever he was doing, whether he was walking in the street, hopping on one foot, or lying on the floor at his grandfather's with his head in his hands, absorbed in the pictures of a book, or sitting in his little chair in the darkest corner of the kitchen, dreaming aimlessly in the twilight, always the monotonous murmuring of his little trumpet was to be heard, played with his lips closed and cheeks blown out. His mother seldom paid any heed to it, but once in a while she would protest. When he was tired of this state of half-sleep, he would have to move and make a noise. Then he made music, singing it at the top of his voice. He had made tunes for every occasion. He had a tune for splashing in his wash-basin in the morning, like a little duck. He had a tune for sitting on the piano-stool in front of the detested instrument, and another for getting off it, and this was a more brilliant affair than the other. He had one for his mother putting the soup on the table. He used to go before her then, blowing a blare of trumpets. He played triumphal marches by which to go solemnly from the dining-room to the bedroom. Sometimes he would organize little processions with his two small brothers. All then would file out gravely, one after another, and each had a tune to march to. But, as was right and proper, Jean Christophe kept the best for himself. Every one of his tunes was strictly appropriated to its special occasion, and Jean Christophe never by any chance confused them. Anybody else would have made mistakes, but he knew the shades of difference between them exactly. One day at his grandfather's house he was going round the room clicking his heels, head up and chest out. He went round and round and round, so that it was a wonder he did not turn sick, and played one of his compositions. The old man, who was shaving, stopped in the middle of it, and with his face covered with lather, came to look at him and said, "'What are you singing, boy?' Jean Christophe said he did not know. "'Sing it again,' said Jean Michel. Jean Christophe tried. He could not remember the tune, 
Proud of having attracted his grandfather's attention, he tried to make him admire his voice, and sang after his own fashion an air from some opera. But that was not what the old man wanted. Jean-Michel said nothing, and seemed not to notice him any more. But he left the door of his room ajar, while the boy was playing alone in the next room. A few days later Jean Christophe, with the chairs arranged about him, was playing a comedy in music, which he had made up of scraps that he remembered from the theatre, and he was making steps and bows as he had seen them done in a minuet, and addressing himself to the portrait of Beethoven which hung above the table. As he turned with a pirouette he saw his grandfather watching him through the half-open door. He thought the old man was laughing at him. He was abashed and stopped dead. He ran to the window and pressed his face against the panes, pretending that he had been watching something of the greatest interest. But the old man said nothing. He came to him and kissed him, and Jean Christophe saw that he was pleased. His vanity made the most of these signs. He was clever enough to see that he had been appreciated. But he did not know exactly which his grandfather had admired most, his talent as a dramatic author, or as a musician, or as a singer or as a dancer, he inclined to the latter, for he prided himself on this. A week later, when he had forgotten the whole affair, his grandfather said mysteriously that he had something to show him. He opened his desk, took out a music-book, and put it on the rack of the piano, and told the boy to play. Jean Christophe was very much interested, and deciphered it fairly well. The notes were written by hand in the old man's large handwriting, and he had taken especial pains with it. The headings were adorned with scrolls and flourishes. After some moments the old man, who was sitting beside Jean Christophe turning the pages for him, asked him what the music was. Jean Christophe had been too much absorbed in his playing to notice what he had played, and said that he did not know it. "'Listen, you don't know it?' "'Yes, he thought he knew it.' "'But he did not know where he had heard it.' "'The old man laughed. "'Think!' "'Jean-Christophe shook his head. "'I don't know.' "'A light was fast dawning in his mind. "'It seemed to him that the air... "'But no, he dared not. "'He would not recognize it. "'I don't know, grandfather.' "'He blushed. "'What, you little fool! "'Don't you see that it is your own?' "'He was sure of it, "'but to hear it said made his heart thump. "'Oh, grandfather!' Beaming, the old man showed him the book. "'See? Aria! It is what you were singing on Tuesday, when you were lying on the floor. March! That is what I asked you to sing again last week, and you could not remember it. Minuet! That is what you were dancing by the armchair. Look!' On the cover was written in wonderful Gothic letters, The Pleasures of Childhood, Aria, Minuetto, Valse, and Marcha, Opus One by Jean-Christophe Kraft. Jean-Christophe was dazzled by it, to see his name and that fine title and that large book, his work. He went on murmuring, Oh, grandfather, grandfather! The old man drew him to him. Jean-Christophe threw himself on his knees and hid his head in Jean-Michel's bosom. He was covered with blushes from his happiness. The old man was even happier, and went on in a voice which he tried to make indifferent, for he felt that he was on the point of breaking down. Of course, I added the accompaniment and the harmony to fit the song, and then—he <coughs> coughed, 
and then I added a trio to the minuet, because, because it is usual, and then I think it is not at all bad. He played it. Jean Christophe was very proud of collaborating with his grandfather. But, grandfather, you must put your name to it, too. It is not worth while. It is not worth while others besides yourself knowing it. Only, here his voice trembled, uh, only later on, when I am no more, it will remind you of your old grandfather, eh? You won't forget him? The poor old man did not say that he had been unable to resist the quite innocent pleasure of introducing one of his own unfortunate heirs into his grandson's work, which he felt was destined to survive him. But his desire to share in this imaginary glory was very humble and very touching, since it was enough for him anonymously to transmit to posterity a scrap of his own thought, so as not altogether to perish. Jean Christophe was touched by it, and covered his face with kisses, and the old man, growing more and more tender, kissed his hair. "'You will remember me. Later on, when you are a good musician, a great artist, who will bring honour to his family, to his art, and to his country, when you are famous, you will remember that it was your old grandfather who first perceived it, and foretold what you would be?' There were tears in his eyes as he listened to his own words. He was reluctant to let such signs of weakness be seen. He had an attack of coughing, became moody, and sent the boy away, hugging the precious manuscript. End of section 8